to Your Creativity, the podcast that keeps on keeping on. Keeping on, keeping on. Okay, but today's guest, Dylan, I, we're just jumping in because I'm kind yeah, of excited. Totally. So, um, yeah, I've been, <laughs> I've been... Now, our guest today is Nathan Osman. But, Nathan, I've, yeah. spent, I've spent several days thinking this through. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Your biggest flaw... Yes, we need to change your last name. So I mean, that's so, what Michael so, Jackson said. I mean, so 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 here, so the Osmond thing—it's just messing you up. You so, think so? Yeah. So what would you recommend? What would be a good last? I've name? come up with a couple. Okay, I want to hear them. So one of them was Nathan O'Brien, and you're gonna have to, you know, me and I, brother Conan, right? I really love Conan. <laughs> I love it so too. Like, so I figured that you could get like like a little we keep more the Irish, o, right? Yeah, and then get a little like Irish theme going. You're gonna you, have to you learn know, some I've Irish been, ballads. Most people actually introduce me as Nathan Osborne. And okay. I'm like, oh yeah, Uncle Ozzy and I. I, I, I. <laughs> we could also go for Nathan Cash. You know what? I like that. I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan. You know, I was actually just in Memphis, Tennessee. I got to go to to uh, the studios over there, Sun Studios, oh. and got to hold the microphone that he sang into. And all those hits from from uh, Folsom Prison to, and plus I got to go when I was in Sacramento area. I went up to Folsom Prison and got to stand right where he shot that picture, that famous picture of him in front of. Oh gosh, I'm a huge Cash fan. Okay, I, I, so that, Nathan Cash. That, I think that it's that work. Yes, Nathan Cash. I, I, I love that. I love that. Great thinking, man. No, but so Dylan actually had a really great comment, okay. and we were just talking earlier. You basically have had a microphone in your hand since you were born. My first national television appearance, I had a binky in my mouth. Really? I was that young. I was less than a year old on the Donnie and Marie show. It was a family holiday special, 1977. And here I am. I felt like Maggie Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> So it was a holiday special. It was a holiday special. I was sitting, I think, around an ice skating rink on my mother's lap, but that was my very first national television appearance. How'd you get that gig? Oh, uh, I knew a guy <laughs> and a gal. It. Oh, yeah, my father was a producer, too. I guess that helped. <laughs> was the green room any good? You know, I you don't, don't remember that. Remember I do it. remember going back to the Osmond, fan, uh, Osmond Studios in, in Orem, and that place rocked. Oh, I liked playing hide-and-seek in there. The costume shop was amazing. They had so many different wigs and things in there. And all of the big celebrities love getting out of Hollywood and hanging out there. In fact, John Candy used to hang out at the studio oh, wow. before he made it with Second City. Isn't that crazy? Lucille Ball was on there. I got to meet the Chips Patrol. And I have videos of me wrapping Christmas presents with Laverne and Shirley. No, Isn't that wait, crazy? Okay, that's like totally crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> and I just thought everybody had a television studio. I didn't know there was anything... Nor, uh, you know, unnormal, you know, about it. And uh, I just thought, well, people ask me, what was it like growing up Osmond? I said, well, didn't you guys have ice skaters hanging around? You know, it was just, yeah. had, it was like so much fun. I, it was like getting, getting to play every single day. It was amazing. Wow. Well, and I think that that's actually, so that guided you for everything. That and family, like, is, yeah, are kind of. I've I've looked at your blog, uh huh, and how family is really important. So it do is. you see that family and fun go hand in hand? It should. No, is 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 family time always fun? I think we can all say there's some times when when it's not as fun as we'd like it to be. But I think when you make it the focus, and I want my children to to. Uh, to be able to get to know their dad. We were just saying I did 277 live events last year in 201 cities. They're just finally now getting to know dad again. And so it was a little unbalanced, I guess you could say, on that end. It was a great year of work, but, 
you gotta you gotta ask yourself, you know, what profiteth a man the whole the whole world and loseth his own soul or family? For me, my family is my soul, and I just I am a family guy, for sure, through and through. Wow. So speaking of, let let's talk the family tree. Yeah. Now your dad is. Here comes the pedigree. My dad is Alan Osmond, who is the oldest of the singing, performing Osmond brothers. Now, there are two okay. older brothers that were also on the show from time to time that were deaf. Now, that's my Uncle Verl and my Uncle Tom. Okay. And they are just as much as of the, of the production because they ran the fan club. They, they, were, they play saxophone and tap dance. But my father was the one that was more the, he was the oldest I could hear. So that, that responsibility just kind of fell on his lap. So he was. Uh, they, they he kind of guided the group. He was the spokesperson for the group and uh, one of the producers on the Donnie and Marie show. But he's the guy that started Stadium of Fire. Really? Yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. he wanted to. It used to be called Alan Osmond Stadium of Fire. And the way he got into that firework business is that he, he uh, was invited by Ronald Reagan to come and produce his big fireworks shows and, and and the balls for his um, what's it called? The, his uh, inauguration celebration. And he also did it for George Senior. Oh, wow. So that, but he wanted to create and produce something that would allow him to get off the road and be with his family more, doing what he loved to do, but be able to sleep in his own bed at night. And so Stadium of Fire was born. So was your own home version of fireworks just oh my as gosh. cool? <laughs> you know what? I'm surprised there weren't more fires in Utah County because <laughs> uh, we were given some fireworks by you know some friends um, that every year they were Class C fireworks, so not necessarily legal fireworks. And there was a time where he thought, you know, I'm I'm in Scouts, I'm with a young man, I'm gonna like really make this fun. So we're he, gonna start a fire. We're gonna go to the church building. We're gonna light off some fireworks. And he does, and guess what? The police department shows up. He goes, "Oh my gosh, they're going to shut me down!" And there goes Stadium of Fire. So he just he just said, "Hey, Alan Osmond, Stadium of Fire. We're just testing out a few fireworks up here." And like, "Well, let us help you." <laughs> <laughs> they all knew the show, so they're like, "Yeah, that's great." He was so elated that they didn't like cuff him and haul him off. But Although uh, that could have been some good pictures. It could have been some like, good publicity, some good right? Pictures. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a funny guy. In fact, one time, get this. This I just told this story the other day. The Osmonds performed for the police department, and they gave each one of them a badge. And so one night he's driving up to, back to home, and by, right by the Provo Temple, he gets pulled over. And he was like, "Oh shoot!" The guy walks up to him, and he looks over and just notices that he had his badge sitting on, on the seat. <laughs> and he goes, he gives him his license and registration, and he says, "And I also have this. I don't know if this means anything." And he goes, I don't know whether to give you a ticket or salute you. You outrank me, sir. Have a good day. <laughs> he was so, just don't, boys, don't ever do that. But uh, he got out of a ticket, thank it's, goodness. It's like, I, it was a warning. It was a warning. a warning. Yeah, exactly. I got a warning last night myself. Yeah. I got out of it, thank heavens. But, uh, yeah. Wait, so you pulled, so what I got was, pulled over what last night. What was your night? trick? I was just coming home. I just tried really hard to be nice. You know what? My wife gives me a hard time about that because... I actually got pulled over in my driveway <laughs> and got out of it. Uh, the nicest officer ever, um, his name was Officer Reynolds. And I was been sent to go pick up food in like four or five locations. My wife's family was in the house. They're all hungry, all waiting on me to come home. So I got a lot of pressure on me. Picked up all the food. I call my wife. I'm about a minute away from my, oh my house. Gosh, please say that your family, your in-laws got pictures of this. They should have. Uh, they were all laughing at me inside because oh. I pull up because I call my wife. I said, I'll be there in one minute. Come on out. Help me get the food in. So she comes out and I'm like, hey, babe, I'm home. I got the food. He goes, and you got pulled over. 
I'm like, what? I look like I didn't even see the guy. It must have just happened. So he's in my driveway <laughs> with the lights on and everything. I'm going, oh shoot! It was so he was escorting me with the we, groceries. We had just had our garage door fall off. Basically, the hinges that that day. I just bought this new car, so the paperwork was all inside. My wife had it. She's trying to figure out where it was, which killed time for me to like schmooze a bit. And I was like, hey. Where'd you go to school? Do you know any Osmonds? And he knew some of my cousins. We went to the same high school. He's, and Reynolds, that's your last name? That's my wife's maiden name. That's probably your cousins in there. And Do I you want to come in and meet them? And he, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I got some food. I just, you know, I tried to just be, kill him with kindness. And uh, anyways, it, I think it was just because he was freezing his rear end off outside. He, he said, is there any way you can give me like a warning or something? He, he goes back to his car. He comes back and says, this is your lucky day. <laughs> I, oh like, I got out of it. <laughs> I, I really am a pretty good driver. I just have a size 16 foot, so no, sometimes I, I go a little you know, fast. I'm not really sure that I've ever heard of anybody getting pulled over in their driveway. So I think like, I'm a that's first. A totally yes. a first for me. <laughs> yeah, and my whole, all my in-laws got to witness it. But when I got out of the ticket, thanks to Officer Reynolds, thank you out there if you're listening, you were a man. And I, you know what I told him? I said, thank heavens for grace. You know what? We all hope for that, to yes. be pardoned or forgiven of whatever mistakes we make in life. And that was something I shared in my Sunday school class. Uh-huh. Is that I said, you know what, guys? I said, I told them those words, thank heavens for grace. And it just really was a, a special moment that he would uh, be able to give me that moment, you know? So I, just, I deserve the ticket, I bet. We, so, Officer Reynolds, if you're listening, we can get you in t- contact to send that ticket. <laughs> yes. So, just add some Steven, interest you, on that. What was just add the interest on that. I know yeah. a guy that owns a chocolate shop. Steven, could you hook him up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh I'm so glad to be doing this here in Hatch's Chocolate. This is this is this place is my favorite place to come to. We're just trying to make you crave chocolate. When uh, seriously, you're, I when can't you're I can't here. focus. It's incredible. <laughs> I'm gonna have diabetes before I walk out of here. Yeah, it's smell a vision. Smell a vision. I smell like that, dude. Smell a vision. Heck yeah. <laughs> well, now let's talk about your arrest records. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Haven't yet. I'm still young. Though. That's so good. <laughs> They've been expunged. Me neither. Expunged. That's yeah, good. <laughs> so you're multifaceted. What? What's all the kind of stuff that you do? Oh my gosh. Podcast. I guess it's because of my ADD. I thought I had ADD, so I went and checked it out. The doctor says you have ADOLST. I'm like, what's that? He says, attention deficit. Oh, look, shiny things. And that's what I have. <laughs> um, so I kind of live my life that way. Not only have I grown up singing and performing, and I've done all sorts of different styles of genres of music. Like I grew up singing what, barbershop harmony. Do you have a favorite? Well, country music has been one that I've really gravitated to. And I've always, I, I can't say I've always been a country fan. And here I am, a country singer. I'm a country convert. And I owe it to guys like Garth Brooks, who I got to finally thank for his career because I even gave him my album. I said, this exists because of your career. Uh, you inspired cool. me. And Trisha, I gave her one as well. She was there with us. But um, I have always enjoyed different styles and genres. I did a big 1940s big band show in Hawaii. Cool. I, in fact, I produced it and starred in it. It was called Pacific Swing Hawaii. This is in 2011. I lived over there at the, at the Marriott Waikiki Beach Res- Resort and Spa and also got to uh, do it at the, the 
it's called the Royal Hawaiian, that famous pink palace on the beach there. We did it for two months in the Monarch Room there. But I did 1940s big band sh- music. I did pop music. I used to tour with New Kids on the Block and Color Me Bad and Salt and Pepper, Naughty by Nature, all those 90s bands. So I've done that genre. I saw them last I've summer. done musical. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. And I met Tiffany. Did like, you meet her? A couple months later. She's yeah. so cool, isn't she? Yeah. Debbie Gibson was on that show. In yep. fact, she's like my adopted sister. So I got to tour with her doing a musical for two years called Joseph and the Amazing Technica, the Dreamcoat. So I've done Broadway's. I was ca- cast as Charlie Brown, and you're a good man, Charlie Brown. And did Annie get your gun down at Tuacon and Joseph? So I've I've done that genre, but it was during that Annie get your gun dress rehearsal that I come walking out there wearing my chaps and my vest and my cowboy hat. This guy named Mac, and my wife sees me and she goes, "We're just barely newlyweds." She goes, "You're supposed to be a country singer," and I'm like, "What?" I guess it was the chaps and the beard and everything together. And he says, "Listen, yeah, it's for, your your songwriting is very crossover. I, I mean, you got the look. I think you could do really well in it." So anytime she complains about my career, I blame her. I say, "It was your idea. <laughs> You're the one that got me into this." <laughs> so, but on top of all my music, uh, here comes the ADD. Uh, for the longest time before I had my album cut, I was out as an MC at these big financial conferences. On stage, introducing people from Tony Robbins to Donald Trump to George Foreman to you name it. And I was doing 155 conferences a year on average. It was a lot of fun, but that's that's kind of where I got introduced to the whole speaking side of things. So for the past, I'd say about 10, 12 years, I've done a lot of speaking as well. Motivational speaking, uh, coaching, life coaching, and just as of last year, 2019, I actually started my own podcast called Achieving Awesomeness Now, which is kind of how we got in touch with uh, with this podcast. Is uh, I saw Tony Tony Toscano on there. Yes, I'm like oh, and listen, what I'm like, we should have Nate. Tony is so awesome. He, we had some great guests on there. So now I'm a podcaster. Uh, on social media all over the place. I just started my new TikTok channel, so I'm having fun exploring that, but I'm trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, and I, I don't think I want to grow up. I just want to be a big kid, and, and I think that's that's been the beautiful part about what I've been able to do in my career is just to do what I love to do. I'm passionate about it. Uh, I don't think people like to be just spoken to or spoken at. I think they want to be entertained, so I call it edutainment and try to always include music visuals, videos, and give people an experience. When you hear me speak, it's not just a speech, it's an experience. And so we call it edutainment. So I've been really focused on that on my LinkedIn pages and stuff to just let people know about uh, what I do. I'm more than just a country singer. How would you describe what music is to you? Music is... That's a great question. In his blood. (laughs) It's in my... Yeah, it's in my DNA for sure. Music, like Madonna says, makes the people come together, right? I think music is a language that's internationally spoken. It unites us. It helps us to cry. It helps us to heal. Sometimes it it angers us. Oh, I remember seeing this ACDC concert when I was living in Chile on my mission. These guys, I'm so glad I wasn't working in my sector that night. I was producing a Christmas production that night, but my poor companion had to work that night. These guys looked like they were out to kill somebody. That's <laughs> some music can get your emotions going. So for whatever you want to use music for, for me, I, I hope to do music that has a meaning to it, a passion, that's something that helps you to sometimes forget the world that we're in right now, for, even for an hour or two, you know. And just escape it. I got a big concert coming up on March 2nd down at the Sierra, which I'm very excited about. We sold out the first concert, so the wow. second one is our, you know, already starting to fill up. So I, I haven't done a whole lot of my own concerts in Utah over the last two or three years, and I think people are excited that I've got something in town 
that they could come out and support us. So if you're listening, I hope you guys mark March 2nd on and your where, calendars. And where can they get tickets? Go to Sierra.org. That's S-C-E-R-A.org or uh, 801-225-ARTS, and they can get tickets right now. But we're planning on selling out both concerts. And That's I think cool. all my cousins are coming to the second one, so we're, we're definitely going to sell it out. <laughs> we're, we're, we're millions of Osmonds in Utah. That's cool. Thank you, brother. So you, you mentioned Garth Brooks. Who up? Who else do you? You know, I to? kind of, there's three guys that really converted me to country because I always said I, I'll never like country. Boy, I eat those words every day. <laughs> um, uh, Thanks to your wife. I, one of them is <laughs> Garth Brooks, for sure. And I'm so glad I got to finally thank him for that. I haven't recorded with him, but I was that would be a dream of mine come true. Number two, uh, Colin Ray is one of them. Uh, I fell in love with his music when I lived in Branson, Missouri. And the other guy was Vince Gill. My goodness, talk about Mr. Country. That guy, I just listened to a great podcast about his career. And to just think, I know that guy. In fact, I got to replace his vocals on a track with Jack Green, the first ever CMA Award winner. And it went to number one on the independent charts. Of course, I tried to make my performance exactly like Vince Gill's. But last time I got to hang with him was backstage at the Grand Ole Opry. And he's like, hey, Nathan, come on in. I'm like, this guy's like my hero, and he knows my name. And he's inviting me into his dressing room to hang out with him. How cool is this? He's the most down-to-earth guy. Same with Colin, same with Garth. I guess I'm, that's what I found to be most amazing is not only are the guys that converted me musically to this genre, but they're some of the nicest guys in that genre that I've ever met. And I said, if I can never make it as big as they are, my goal is to be as kind and as sweet as they are to, to everybody. Because that's the way they treat everybody. I, I sat there with Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood, like one-on-one, basically. I had two other friends in the room with me. But they had two shows that night, and they gave me at least 30 to 40 minutes of their time. I'm like, did I just win the lottery? This is amazing to get the chance to visit with you and hang with you. In fact, people have told me sometimes that I remind them a lot of Garth. So I said, I'm going to do a little test. I, I have this picture. I'll send it to you guys. <laughs> and I uh, put it in your show notes, but... It, uh, I took half of my face in a photo shoot that was very similar to a Garth Brooks intentionally, and I took the other picture of Garth, and I meshed them together. I call it Garth Osmond. <laughs> and I showed it to him, and Trisha took a look at it. She's like, oh, my gosh, Garth, you just found your doppelganger. You know, and so they were laughing at it. Somebody said, you should do Darth Osmond. So I got half of Darth Vader's face in my face. Anyways, <laughs> it was so fun to get, just get to visit with him about life, about, uh, you know, family. And that's something that was so important to him that he got off the road, and he spent the time raising his kids. But the day that the last one graduated was the day they went on tour. I mean, they timed it because music's in their blood too. And they were just so grateful that they had that opportunity to raise their kids. I thought that really says a lot. The two biggest names in country music you know, left what they love doing, what they're known for, because of family. And so I said I, I, I really highly respect that. You have Four children? Four boys. Okay. I'm number two of eight boys. So no sisters, no daughters. Our name is never going away. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do any of your kids um, have the music talent as well? You know, they do have some music talent. Uh, they're not really pursuing it as a career, but my my uh, third oldest son took piano lessons, and he's really good at it. Uh, but my second oldest son, Corbin, is really taught himself, just watching YouTube videos and listening. He's got a natural gift. Um, my oldest son, Zachary, he plays trombone, uh, and he's got probably the best pitch out of all of them, singing-wise. And then, of course, Beckham, uh, he could do the watch me whip, 
Watch me, Nene. <laughs> he's got all the dance moves, and he's. I think he's more a born comedian. So does he do your choreography? Yes. I, I, I've learned all of the Fortnite moves thanks to him. <laughs> so, yes. But uh, they, they love music. I don't know that they ever want to pursue it as a career. My oldest son is very artistic, and um, he was actually born on the autism spectrum. Uh, he has a, what's called PDDNOS. But my golly, the guy is, is so talented. He's uh, uh, he's done extremely well, like very high functioning. So he's never had any special education. We got him a lot of ABA therapy, but he uh, he's uh, he's in high school now. He's um, he's a sophomore. So he's 16. He's gonna get his driver's license here soon. He's already got his permit. But the guy is an amazing animator. Uh, he's got a whole kind of uh, Instagram page called Zanimations. Zachary is his name. So, so maybe he can, he can animate one of your videos. Exactly. Uh, he's actually done some pretty cool animations. And, uh, you know, my, I, got a, I got a cousin that's actually a Disney animator. My cousin Hiram actually created Olaf for oh, Disney. Wow. Isn't that cool? That's way cool. So he sent him a, an autographed uh, Olaf picture from, from Hiram Osmond to my son Zachary. I thought that was so cool. That's way cool. Yeah, so he's just, and he wants to learn all he can because I think he'd like to be a Disney animator someday. So what legacy do you want to leave for them? Oh. What do you want them to know you f- for? You know, I think that's that's a great question, Stephen. I I want to be a hero. in. I, I, let's just put it this way. I hope that my children look at me the way that I look at my dad. And I, I, I wish every child could have the father that I've had. Because you realize that, you know, there, there comes that day where you just realize they're human. You know, they're not Superman. But my dad really is like Superman to me. Uh, my father, as I mentioned, you know, he's, he's sold over 100 million records with the Osmonds. He was the leader. He, he got three out of the four trophies in, the, in boot camp in the Army. He was a black belt trained by Chuck Norris. I mean, what can't the man do? He started Stadium of Fire. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records. I, if I can be half of what my dad is to my children, I think I'm doing all right. But I hope to instill in them just to be honest, to be truthful, to be... Uh, hardworking. I want them to learn a good work ethic. That's something my dad put installed in me is that he says, I'm not just going to give you this, guys. We worked our butts off to become the Osmonds, the one-take Osmonds, they called us on the Andy Williams shows, he said, because we'd come in and we would nail it on the first take because of the hours that we poured in during rehearsal time. In California where they were filming, there's laws. I mean, they have like tutors and you have to have this amount of time of work and then you have this much time of schooling and when the work's done, you go home so they would say, hey, bye. They get in the station wagon, wave to their tutors, pretend they're driving off. They whip around that studio and come right back. And while the tutors left, they would rehearse for hours and hours and hours more. So my father said, I'm not just going to give show business to you. You've got to earn this. You prove to me that you want this, and then I might start opening some doors for you. So that's how I got started. We would get up at 6 in the morning every morning in front of these mirrors in our basement, and we would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and we come home from school and rehearse some more acapella music and barbershop and tune it up, my father. You know, if you're flat, fix it. We're brutally honest in our family. But he said, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're getting a couple songs. KSL here in Utah, they called us up. A good friend of ours named Eugene Jelesnik had a talent showcase every Sunday that would be on TV. And he gave us the entire show one Sunday. So we had to put a whole show together. Well, cool thing is People Magazine heard about this new generation of Osmonds. And so they wrote a little blurb in their magazine. Well, Bob Hope, of all people, read that little blurb and says, I want those boys on my show. So he calls us up, and he puts us on his show in 1986. 
Well, Curb Records saw that, and they're like, hey, another generation of Osmonds. We made the first ones big. Let's make the second one big. So we signed on their label. We had three songs in the top 40, traveled all over the United States and, and the world, for that matter. And and then uh, they signed us even on Epic Sony over in Europe. We had three songs in the top 40 over there. And we sang in the Japanese, you know, we did a Japanese album. I would I did Japanese commercials for the Sumitomo Bank when I was a kid. <laughs> they performed at the Tokyo Dome and the Osaka Stadium, Wembley Arena in London. And just had such a that was when I, up till I was fifteen, all before I was fifteen, and so my life hasn't been normal. I I realized that. Which reminds me of Forrest Gump, just one thing right into another. Isn't just it crazy like, that we have been very fortunate, and it's hard. It's a hard business, yeah, to get into. And I a lot of young people are like, "What advice do you give me?" And the advice that I say is, "Do it because you love it, and and be willing to work your tail off." The advice that my uncle Donnie gave me is. You've got to have thick skin in this game because not everybody's going to like you. And that's the hardest part as an Osmond or as an entertainer. Our goal is to make everybody like us. And not everybody's going to. I got a guy that hates my videos every time I post something. And he dislikes it eight times. The same guy. And he has eight different well, accounts. Well, I'm sorry. You know, Steven, I, would you I, stop I, it? I keep thinking that I'm hitting this like. This is an intervention keep, right now. I no. keep thinking I'm hitting like. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the thing is that that was good advice. Some other advice he gave me was don't hang around yes men. And I said, what's that? He says, people that, oh, you're the best. You're the greatest. You can do nothing wrong. Bull We can all stink. You're only as good as your last show, Nathan. So hang around people that are going to be honest enough, like my dad. I mean, he was brutally honest with Donnie. He says, hey, listen, you're too close to it. I'm looking at it from the outside. I see what the fans are seeing. Try it this way. You know, now my, I'm saying my father was always right, but... You need to have people that are in your on your team that can be can give you some good uh, effective feedback. You know that's going to make the show better, yeah. and uh, just be willing to have some thick skin. I, I want to touch. Okay, it's kind of going a, kind of on this, mm -hmm. but okay. You talked about all the different stadiums and the different places that you've played. So I much mean, fun! You, you've met people from all over the world, all over the yeah. country. Right now, mm -hmm. in today's society, I, I mean, my Facebook post is a perfect example. Yeah. 50-50. You have people just hating each other and just back and forth. What so, hope do you have for all of us? Or what do you see in all these people that you've traveled? What, what do you think, where do you see the hope going? Or, or, or does music play a part of that? I think music definitely plays a part of it. Music can break down walls. It can break down barriers. I... Uh, I, I some of the meanest comments I've ever heard have been on social media. I just spoke. It's easy to be anonymous and it, to troll people. That's the problem. Is yeah. that if that's when I see all of these protesters wearing masks, I say, "What a coward!" If you truly had the passion of, say, a Patrick Henry, "Give me liberty or give me death," and he's saying it right in front of these British, you know, people who could could hang him right there on the spot. That's passion, right? Uh, when my cousin Michael, unfortunately, passed away because of suicide, the very first comment I read on Facebook was from a girl who said, your cousin's going to hell. And I said, gosh, I didn't know God was my friend on Facebook. It's amazing. Delete, right? Yeah. And so that was the very first message I got. And how insensitive. You know, I just I just spoke this weekend to uh, an organization called Life's Worth Living Foundation, and I talked about that. People are so mean. And yet, I've seen the complete opposite. I think that uh, we see what we want to see. If we want to find the bad, we'll find it. 
if we want to find the good, it's like what Mr. Rogers said, his mom taught him that. Then whenever you see someone in crisis or something negative or bad on the news, look for the helpers. Yeah. Because you'll, you'll find them. Look at, look what happened during 9-11. We could focus on the burning airplanes above, or we could focus on those guys running up, giving their own lives to get people out. So I think that you become what you think about most of the time. If you're in there combating people and you're getting beat up, right? The thing is, is you don't have to give them jack, you know what, uh, if you don't want to. Even Roseanne Barr, speaking of my cousin, came out and said stuff publicly before his own funeral. The reason why he killed himself is because he was gay. I'm like, well, first of all, he wasn't. But even if he were like his sister, we love her just as much as we love him. So, and she says, yeah, I would have been a better mommy to you, you know, and put down our faith and everything else. And I was like, I went up to our publicist at my cousin's funeral, and I told him about what Rosanna just said. And I said, what would you say if you were ever asked about her comments? And as a publicist, I was curious what he was going to say. He goes, I say this, Nathan, I go, take a deep breath. And I go, you know, it's not even worth my breath to answer that question. You don't have to give people what they want. When the Osmonds were in England, the press hated them because all the girls loved them. And so the press is brutal over there. My father said these, these reporters would come up and they'd, they would jab me in the ribs, physically punch me, not, almost knock the wind out of me. And I knew what they were doing. It's like, England hates you. Go home, right? And it was almost like those penguins from Madagascar. Smile away, boys, right? <laughs> Don't give them what they want. Let's be us. And because they had so much following over there, the BBC even gave them their own TV show. So every time that the Sun mag or newspaper or somebody would write something false about the family or complete you know, false news, the Osmonds would actually pull it out on their TV show. They have a segment and say, oh, well, let's see what the, this paper had to say about us. Well, that's complete garbage. Let us tell you the truth. And they could shut down. This is before Twitter. They could shut down the false news. And I, it was so refreshing. That's why the press hated them, you know. But uh, it is an interesting thing. You know, you, you've probably seen those uh, mean tweets, you know, that they do on these late night shows. Oh, Jimmy Kimmel, yeah. And some of those are hilarious because people can be so creative and be so mean at the same time. I think that uh, I, I want to be one of those people, though, that, uh, that stands for civility. You know, sometimes I think our, our world could use a little bit more um, love. I was born on Valentine's Day. And so I got a birthday coming up, and uh, I'm all about love. You're only 25. I'm 26 this year, actually. You're going up to 26. I'm going up <laughs> slowly. No, actually, I've got this Benjamin Button thing going on. <laughs> At least mentally, I feel like I'm getting younger. He's not awesome. They stay young forever, and then one day it just it just switches. Yes, yeah. you're, <laughs> you're just done. <laughs> all that chocolate catches up to us. So I can keep. I'll keep providing you that. Thank you so I'll much. Keep, I'll keep you in it's, supply. It's good for the soul. That's what I say. We all need some chocolate in our lives. Totally. Yes. I'm good with that. This so. segment has been brought to you by Hatch's Chocolate. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Whatever. You're you're like Willy Wonka of Utah. Seriously, you know that. Yeah, but well, I okay. No, this is not about me. This is <laughs> Can about I you. talk about chocolate I mean, for yeah, a minute? Chocolate, Seriously. Chocolate is amazing. But here's what I feel. Yeah. I feel that I try to provide, yeah. similar to you, with all the shit going on in the world yeah. and all the crap. Mm -hmm. I want people to forget that when they walk in our doors and just eat some amazing chocolate. And I think that that's what you do. I think that's what your family has done. But they provide music. And they try to provide 
with all the differences that we have, there's yeah. also a lot of similarities that we all have, and there's a lot of good in the world. There I, is. I think that music adds color to the world, it and so it does. would be, you know, life without music to me just seems kind of boring and sterile, and, and I think that you hit it when you said it can bring out anger, it can bring out happiness and joy. Oh, yeah. And when I look at you, you are always happy. So, like, so, I mean, so I've got to, like, start listening. I'm really seething with hostility. I think I need to start, like, copying your playlists and stuff so that I can, like. It's so random. It is so random. Like, I will definitely put on, like, music when I'm in the shower, even. Uh, I just, I I always wanted my life to be, like, Disneyland. I mean. Most times. Most days, I, I just choose to be happy. I don't know what it is. But um, there are days where I've had rough days. But uh, music can change my state in a second. I love that Braveheart soundtrack by James Horner. One of the best. And uh, Last of the Mohicans, you know. There was something that, it was very interesting, an article I read that people like millionaires, they, they looked at all these things they had in common, and one of the things is that they had in common is they listened to Last of the Mohicans and Braveheart soundtrack. So I, I said, maybe I should start listening to those things. So that's what I don't say that as, uh, as effective much of my, my, uh, my bank account, but, uh, <laughs> but it definitely inspires me. I, I, but if you go through my, my playlist. So Bill and Ted's playlist probably. Love that That one. probably is not the, inspiring me to know be a millionaire. You Kiss is on that soundtrack, on the second one, on the bogus. They're actually coming out with the third movie now. Face but the music. God gave rock and roll to you. Oh, I love that. One? Oh, that's from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yeah, the they can produce millionaires. Seriously, that was... Uh, Bill and Ted. I, oh, I'm so glad you brought up... Like, I love soundtracks. I, I like... Uh, what's what's your favorite music. soundtrack? Uh, sound, my favorite soundtrack? Or top five. Top five. I would say Braveheart's in there for sure. Um, oh boy, there's so many good ones. I'm obviously a huge fan of John Williams. One of my favorites. I love the uh, was a Dance with Wolves by John Barry. Oh my gosh, so many great tunes. I love. I think that uh, Somewhere in Time is a classic. You that know? keeps popping up on cable right now. I know it's crazy, but I I I I wasn't too big of a fan of the movie, but I love the soundtrack. The Titanic soundtrack. It's a classic, right? I listen to so many different kinds. I love um, uh, the Back to the Future soundtrack. Oh, my oh, yeah. gosh. And, I mean, then, of course, you get back to John Williams and Indiana Jones sound. Uh, there's so many. I think what it does, it's just you ask what would the world would be like without music. What would Jaws be like without music? Dun, 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 dun. Right? Well, just take out John Williams. What would movies What would any of those like? movies yeah. be like? But the point is, is that they actually, I watched this documentary on Steven Spielberg films, and the shark itself, the robot, broke down during production. And it wasn't working. It was going to take a long time to fix. Have you ever noticed that you don't see the shark all that often? He says it's because it was busted. So we had to count on John Williams and his genius dun, 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 to create. It's what we don't see that frightens us the most. And isn't us. that what the ocean is? Yeah. I swear I was out swimming by a boy once in Florida with my brother. Our goal was to go touch it. And it must have been the Holy Ghost singing John Williams because we both heard dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> we said, "Do you hear that? Let's get out of here." And we just had this gut feeling that we weren't alone, and so we left. But anyways, yeah, I love how music just brings to life the movies, you know. Yeah, uh, so instruments. How many do you play? Well, I play the CD, the DVD player, the, uh, uh, oh the my iPod, gosh. whatever. I'm Apple kidding. TV. <laughs> <laughs> Apple TV. No, I uh, I I play the piano as my main instrument. 
Um, I play guitar, more mostly rhythm guitar. I had to learn saxophone as a kid. I played a little violin in fourth grade. I played a little banjo once for a show I was in. That was cool. I got the melodica. That's kind of that's easy. At the piano, you blow through the tube. It's pretty cool. Um, but I like learning this. I'm learning the ukulele a little bit. Uh, my kids all want to learn. They all want to learn how to play the ukulele. So I think this something I learned from my childhood with uh, teaching your children instruments is don't force it. Don't force it. I had an ulcer when I was nine years old because of my piano teacher. And if she's listening, I love you, Irene Perry. She's amazing. She still teaches at Brigham Young University. But Irene, you gave me ulcers. But I was on my Lantitu and prescribed <laughs> medication because at nine. and I threw up in her bushes at like six in the morning. I had a six AM piano lesson. What? She crammed us in and made us part of her life. And I'm so grateful because I learned how to play Bach and Clementi and I was writing theory at the age of nine. But when I started getting sick, my mother's like, we don't want a concert pianist. We just want you to appreciate music. I said, I promise. I, let me just quit these lessons. I'll play for the right reasons. I started playing what I wanted to play. I taught myself how to play by ear. I ended up even playing piano at Nordstrom while I was going to college. See, what used to cause me so much stress is what now takes it away. I'm a songwriter. I've got you know four number one hits so far in the country charts and just having fun. And I actually wrote one of those four with a lady on Skype from Scotland. And it's all about oh, cool. America, about our troops called Stars and Stripes. But yeah, technology is so fun that we're able to write and produce. I mean, I, can, I recorded my vocals here for this song we wrote for the Ireland-Scotland mission. It's now being featured in the Enzyme magazine this month called Till the Work is Done. And it's become the official uh, theme song for the Ireland-Scotland missions. We put it out as a fundraising tool to send missionaries out, and it's already sent several missionaries out. So... Music can do so many good things. I've written a lot of theme songs for different organizations. Do you I, write the lyrics I, or the music first? Both. Which comes first? It, it depends. It actually really depends. Sometimes it's the idea. Sometimes it's just the melody, and you slap your thigh or the table. And you, What's this song about? And then it comes to you. Other times it's just like I have my co-writer. You know, Marwena is one of my co-writers. She's from Scotland. She's bedridden, and she's done all this right from her bed with Skype. It's crazy. But, um, yeah, she's really good with melodies, and, I'm, and then I'll come up with the lyrics because she'll kind of put that melody in my head, and then I fit the words in, right? So we, we're a good team uh, of songwriters together. But, yeah, every time you write with somebody, it's kind of like a first dance. You step on each other's toes. You know, you kind of get used to how each other writes. I wrote a song with Steve Dorff. That guy's a great songwriter. He's, he's written everything from Celine Dion hits to Kenny Rogers to you name it. Yeah, amazing songwriter. Google Steve Dorff, and I got a chance to write a song with him uh, called Maybe, and it's a really cool song. Wow, just taking it in. Um, <clears throat> and these creative processes, what um, do you prefer writing by yourself or with somebody? or Both. Both. Um, sometimes if I'm really kind of picky about maybe an idea that I'm really sold on, Sometimes I, I, I hoard it to myself, right? I'll, I want to I want to be the writer of this. Yeah, sometimes you treat it like your baby, right? You're like, ah, it's mine. But but I found that in writing songs in Nashville with guys like Dean Sams, the keyboard player and founding member of Lone Star, he produced half my first album. Now, cool story about going out and songwriting and getting creative is I, I found in life the best one of the best secrets is you don't tell everybody everything that you're doing or that you want to do. You just go out and do it. And um, I didn't want to be talked out of my dream. And I'm very right brain like my dad. He, he taught me a lot about the songwriting process. 
he says, Nathan, no, we, we wrote number one hits, he said, in the 70s because nobody told us we couldn't. You know, we're told more about our limitation, what we can't do in this world. So we, nobody ever told us that. We just wrote number one hits. And, and I found that I wanted to write hits songs like the ones I liked listening to. He said, the best songs aren't written, they're rewritten. So there's a song the Osmonds did back in the day. It went all the way to number one. My dad wrote it called Down by the Lazy River. What are you doing tonight? Got no place to go. He said, listen to that pattern. Does that feel familiar? Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Different melodies, same groove, you know? So he says, I wrote a song just like a song I fell in love with. Drink his wine, joy to the world, down by the lazy river. So we write counter melodies sometimes over the tops of our favorite songs. And people don't know why it feels so good. It feels so familiar. Like, yeah, I love this groove. It's because it sounds just like something else they like. So that's a little trick. But going back to Nashville, I wanted to write a song with Lone Star. And I, w I got to work with them at Stadium of Fire. They were there. So I went up to the guy that was playing keys because that's my instrument. And I figured we have something in common. You, one of your instruments. One of my instruments, my main instrument. So I said, hey, is that your, is that your keyboard? He's like, yeah. I was like, duh, it's a stupid question. He was just playing it, gosh. But then I said, well, I'm a keyboard player, and you, I, I love that. You guys did a great job. And I said, you know, it's always been my dream to, to come out to Nashville and write. You know, I've produced some stuff. Brian McKnight uh, produced some of my stuff. And, but I, I'm, I, I love country music, and I love your songs. He says, well, here's my email. Why don't you come out to Nashville? We'll do it. I said, I'm thinking to myself, is it that easy? So then I, you know, I say the same stuff to Richie McDonald, the lead singer. He gives me his email. So I'm like, well, they're not going to call me. I got yeah. <laughs> I got to be proactive on this thing. So I used some strategy, and I said, okay, they're off the road probably right around Christmas time. So book it around that time, but not too close to the 24th or 25th, but close enough that you know they're not going to be touring, right? So I did, and I said, Dean, I emailed him. I said, I'm coming out to Nashville on this date to this date. Uh, I'd love to take you up on your offer to write with you guys. We reminded him about us, but he, he had told me, and hold his feet to the fire a little bit. So he says, great, I'm producing a duo. Come on out. I'll let you know what we can and can't do. Let's make it happen. So maybe you thought I wouldn't follow through. I'm a follow-through kind of guy. So I booked my ticket. I picked my, booked my rent a car, my hotel. I'm going to Nashville. But I didn't have a laptop at that time. And so I said, Dean, all I got is your email address. Do you have a phone number I can reach you at when I come out there? Silence. I don't get any email back. Crickets, crickets, Oh, crickets. shoot, he's taking action, right? Well, the day before I leave, he still hasn't responded. So please, Dean, I don't have a laptop. I don't know how to reach you. I've already got my ticket. I'm coming out. You know, uh, how do I reach you? No response. I have to go to Nashville on complete faith of trying to track this, this guy down. So I go out there, and I just network, network, network. I mean, I'm just texting everybody I know. Do you have a number on Lone Star? Do you know how to reach these guys? I finally call up Joel Stevenette, who's a drummer, a friend. He played for Jody Messina. And he's, I think I got like a tour manager number on them. I said, perfect. The guy's name was Coach. And I call up Coach and I said, hey, this is Nathan Osmond. We just got to work with you guys on the 4th of July. Uh, I know that Dean's got a new studio out here. I'm supposed to be out here writing with him, trying to act like I knew the guy really well. And I said, do you happen to have a studio number on him? He goes, all I have is his personal cell phone. I said, perfect. It should be fine. Yeah. And I asked for it. Sometimes my favorite book says you have not because you asked not. He yeah. gave it to me. So here I am in the studio the next morning. I, I was determined to make the most of this trip. So I, I, I had already booked a, a session with my friend Jason Deere. Who's, he produced half of Sir Daisy's first album. He's a great songwriter. 
he had me in the studio. Miranda Lambert's in the other room. She hadn't made it big yet. So I'm like, I'm hanging with some pretty cool people. And I called Dean up and I said, hey, he says, hey, I thought I gave you my number. I said, no, I got it from coach. He says, let me call you back in 10. He just cuts me right off. Let me call you back in 10. <laughs> he didn't sound too happy. Like, coach, call- why the hell are you giving exactly. my Exactly. He doesn't away. call me back in two hours or four hours or six hours. By this time, I'm just like depressed, right? Is coach okay? I'm like, gosh. Coach has yeah. been killed. <laughs> yeah, seriously. He's missing it, missing in action. Anyways, I was like, I went to the Cheesecake Factory that night. I got some chocolate in me. You know, I was like, I just tried to make myself happy because I was really let down. And I felt like maybe he thinks I'm some psycho who's got his phone number now. I'm in his backyard. And all those depressing thoughts came into my mind. So I said, stop it. Get out of your mood. Go down to Broadway. Go listen to these honky-tonks, these famous places. Get turned on by Nashville. I'm down there. I'm listening to these great musicians. I get in, you know, I start asking, what's this brick building right here? Oh, that's the Ryman Auditorium. What's that? That's the original Opry House. I didn't know a thing about Music City. But I got educated that night. And by the time I got down to the Wild Horse Saloon at 1030 at night, my phone goes off. And it's Dean Sam's. He goes, Nathan, I am such an idiot. I totally spaced it and forgot to call you back. What are you doing right now? Oh, by this time, my emotions were up to my throat, and I said, I just ate three whole cheesecakes. <laughs> I've been sitting here just I, waiting for your call, said, and I've been crying. I said, I'm in my car driving to your house. How the heck do I get there? And he said, I love your tenacity, Nate. That's what you got to have to make it in country music. Come on out. He gave me his address. A miracle happened that night. I actually found my way to Franklin, Tennessee, and found his house in the dark. Got in there. There's a songwriter sitting there. Laurie Killian Starr was her name. And he sits me down at his piano and he says, all right, Nathan, let's see what you got. In other words, prove yourself, right? I mean, this is the my Simon Cowell moment. I had to really knock his socks off. I played some snippets of my very best stuff. He goes, you wrote that? I said, yeah. He says, play another one. I did. He keeps doing that. Play another one. Play another one. Finally, he cuts me off and goes, Nathan, three things. Number one, I hate you. <laughs> and I got nervous for a second because I'm a keyboard player and you make that look easy. Two, what are you doing in Utah? you got so much to offer Nashville. You've got to get you out of here. Number three, guess what? Guess who's coming to my house tomorrow at 9 o'clock to write? You are. And I was like trying to keep my cool. I was like crying inside like, oh, my gosh. What am I going to do with it's, the extra cheesecakes I have in oh, my car? My cholesterol. No, I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was very emotional. But I was like keeping, a, keeping my cool. I said, do you happen to have any starters? That's like for songwriters, you know, some melodies or things they've started working on that haven't finished. So I said, let's, let's do one of your songs. So I recorded it with that little recorder I had in my pocket. I had the melody, and I went back that entire next day Spent time on my knees just being prayerful and trying to be creative and in tune because I think music's out there. And we need to be like that antenna that it channels through, you know? So I wanted to figure out what's this song supposed to be about. I wrote the entire thing. I brought the whole song already written to the, the studio the next night. And I said, hey, Dean, I was kind of playing around with that melody. Check these lyrics out. See if you like these. I played a whole song. He said, you wrote that? I said, yeah. Do you like it? He says, I love it. Now, we, we, we tweaked it. We made it better. That's where Laurie and, and Dean came in and made it better. But that's the thing is we had enough time that night that I actually got to re- play the piano track and a vocal, and I drove back to that cheap motel I was sleeping in with a demo I had just cut with Lone Star. I had done the impossible in my mind, right? I did it. Mission accomplished. We'll get this. We wrote it for, for Rascal Flats, and they already had their album in the can. So... Dean calls me up about a week or so later and says, hey, Rascal Flatts already has their album in the can. I love this song. 
do you mind if Lone Star ties it up and we do it on our album? I'm like, shut up. My first song we write in Nashville gets tied up by my favorite one of my favorite country bands. And you think, like, well. you think, oh, that's how big break about another week goes by. After 14 years as the lead singer of that band, Richie McDonald emails the band and says, hey, I've decided I want to go solo. <laughs> this was devastating to not just me, but to their band. I mean, he didn't even call them. He emailed them. So they were really kind of upset. I'm getting vented to by Dean about the whole situation. We'll get this. I think quickly on my feet. And I thought, rather than lose out on the opportunity, let's turn some lemons into lemonade right now. I said, Dean, it's always been my dream to do my own country album. And if you're not going to do that song, do you mind if I do? He says, Nathan, why don't you come to my house? We'll do it right. He says, you know I'll take action. And I did. We went out there. We cut four sides. I Believe in Love is that song. And it's the first song we cut in Nashville for my album. Well, now I had four sides for my album. And I got to tell you this. Talk about getting creative. At this time, here I am an MC for financial conferences, wanting to become a country singer, but I'm doing 155 conferences a year, and they're not going to let me off to go record an album, pursue a dream. What do I do? Well, my brother David would happen to be getting married at that time. So I said, hey, guys, I need a week off. He said, you need a week off to go to a wedding? I said, you know how many Osmonds are in that line? Holy cow, that's going to take a week just to <laughs> just shake hands. Just saying hi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I said, all right. Well, they didn't know I was going to stop through Nashville on the way back to that wedding. And that's when I recorded those first four sides. Well, those first, first four sides opened a door for me to go work with an incredible songwriter named Gary Baker. Gary Baker wrote the song, I Swear. He wrote I'm Already There for Lone Star. And he fell in love with my sound. And he's always been a, he played bass for my Aunt Marie. That's how I got to know him. He took me into his studio down in Muscle Shoals, Florence, Alabama, and um, we got to record the rest of the album down there. So the rest is history. Wow. Okay, so there's so (laughs) many amazing things. The biggest thing is just you followed your dreams and never gave up. You just kept still following them. And and there's going to be bumps along the way, like that whole Lone Star hiccup, you know? But because of What's the difference between, between failure and succeeding then? You know, um, I think that the it basically comes down at, in the end, uh, it's either going to go one way or the other, and I think those that hang in there long enough are the ones that ultimately succeed. You know, you don't wait for your ship to come in. You swim out to meet it. Most people aren't willing to swim. Most people aren't willing to go through the blood and the sweat and the tears and playing the honky-tonks and doing the freebies and, and doing all the interviews and the and jumping on the tour bus and running into the next thing and, and hauling your stuff up on that stage and then breaking it down and signing the autographs. And do, you know, it's a lot of work. And if you don't have passion, what the heck are you getting in this business for? So I think that whatever business you decide to get into, look at your chocolate over here. No, you're, this is not about chocolate. About this. <laughs> this is about you. There's my ADD. I can't help it. The smells keep pulling Squirrel. me in. It's like the Death I'm Star over there. I'm going to get you whatever chocolate you want. Oh, dude. So that, that, that'll be This segment care. is brought to you by Hatch's Chocolate. <laughs> we'll do some voiceovers for you. Oh, no, this is gosh. awesome. You know, I did voiceover work. Uh, I still do it. And I actually have a production company called Entune Productions. I started back in 2002. And it's so fun. I set it up just for my own stuff originally, <laughs> but now I'm producing other bands and acts. But one of the fun voiceover things I got to do is I was the official voiceover for Furniture Row, all the radio ads across the country for three years. Your Tempur-Pedic elite retailer. That was me, guys. That was me. I did the Dazzle Fashion root beer commercials. Just so much fun. Now, that's a good business to get into. 
I love it. So if you're thinking about a good business, check out that business. Check out Root Beer. Because we can all and talk. voiceovers. That's right. <laughs> and nowadays, you got these Fiverr.coms that are out there. There's so many like cool voiceovers you could discover. They're willing to do it for five bucks. <laughs> I like those guys. I usually tip them pretty good, though, because so, I know what it's like to do, be a voiceover guy. But this is so fun to get to reconnect with you guys. I love that you're promoting creativity you know, and using our gifts. And I, I love that. That's all on Dylan. That's all on me. That's all on you, Dylan. <laughs> I love that. Now, you have some notes about me. What are some of these other questions you have? Back to your arrest record. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I've never been arrested. Knock on wood. Oh, wait, Officer this is Reynolds, wait. again, we can yes, hook you up. Yes. <laughs> no, actually, I've done a lot with the Utah Meth Cops Project. And that's a, they're an incredible organization. They do some things. They help uh, with these hot, hot saunas that help to suck out all this nasty stuff all from your toxins. skin, all the toxins. You, they go in these hot, and they come out with these white towels that are now brown. If you have, like, Novocaine in your teeth, like, ever, your mouth becomes numb again. It sucks out stuff that's been in there for years. Well, a lot of these cops are going into, like, these meth labs without the protective gear on to bust it, and they end up getting sick. So uh, I love being involved. In fact, it was Vincent D'Onofrio was at this fundraiser idea. I was good friends with his sister. She owned this barbecue place in Utah. And uh, anyways, it was so fun to get to work with them. And one night, guess what? I got pulled over again. (laughs) 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 And I said, oh, is there any way I can get out of this? You know, and I brought up the fact that I had just done this event for the Utah Meth Cops Project. (laughs) And the office was like, you have meth in your car? I was like, no, sir. No, no. Let me explain. I'm helping your buds. You were handcuffed. Anyways, he was very nice. Yeah, he throws me. No, I I love our our law officers out there, you know, the the first responders. And I I got a lot of respect for those guys. I just featured a guy on my podcast uh, that was one of the survivors of the North Tower uh, during 9-11. He was a firefighter. And... um, Neatest story is that I got to travel the country raising funds to build an, uh, this monument to the the Gold Star families, right? And they're 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 heroes, including those who die of PTSD, because we're losing on average twenty two veterans a day to that. But this guy Scott Shrimpy is his name. He talked about that morning is that he uh, had just gotten off his shift. In fact, the reason he swapped shifts with this guy is because he was going to have the speaker system installed in his truck, and so the guy was willing to shift, you know, switch him shifts. Well, um, i got to tell you this. Uh, Squad 41 gets the call about this airplane hitting, and Scott's hearing about it on the news. Well, he's in a T-shirt and shorts, and he decides, I'm going to go down right now. He gets down there in a T-shirt and shorts just as the— the North Tower collapses, not knowing that Squad 41 was in there. They lost everybody that day. But Scott wasn't with them. He jumps underneath a car because they had about seven seconds is all to jump under something. The whole building collapses all around him. He had to bounce this car off his chest to get out from underneath this thing. And his parents thought he was dead for three days. <laughs> Crazy, right? So he stays down there. Thank heavens, you know, they found out he was okay, but um, hearing the stories like that and people that are willing to put their lives on the line. You know, last night when I got pulled over, not only was I shown grace, but I, I tried to express it too. Because, uh, yeah, these guys are, it's got to be a scary thing to be a cop nowadays. You know, and uh, we live in a crazy world. I think that we, I love that you guys promote goodness. You promote creativity and positivity because uh, I think that um, 
we're blessed in doing this. I, I, I wake up and I get to meet all these amazing people. I get to now be on shows with my friends like you guys to, to talk about good things. And I think that you'll find in life what you're looking for. And if you choose to hang around those negative uh, <laughs> Instagram You need to turn the station turn the and station. get some different music. Put, yeah, we all dance to different drummers. Yeah. What drummer are you dancing to? I, I didn't mind Neil that. Pert. I, I miss didn't. that guy. What a sad thing. <laughs> Love that guy. That Super Bowl halftime was pretty great. It was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's one of the best ones I've seen Especially in a long at their time. Age, I really didn't know that they were that old. Oh, I know. That whole Shakira. We went from like <laughs> we went from first responders to sh- to Shakira. Yeah. Hips don't lie. Come on. Oh my god. That's my ADD kicking in. It's <laughs> awesome, man. <sighs> Dylan, I think it's bonus question. Bonus question. Bonus time. question time. Ding ding. Number one, what does creativity mean to you? Oh, my goodness. Creativity to me means giving yourself permission to dream. You know, they've actually done studies that prove that everyone in our age range, only about about 5% are considered highly creative. That, that's it. About 5%, if that, maybe even 2%. Anyways, the, the study goes down to about, when you get to about 7-year-olds, uh, they said that 10% of seven-year-olds were considered highly creative. But then you go down to five-year-olds, 90-some-odd percent of five-year-olds were considered highly creative. So what happened between ages five and seven? They get their first iPhone. They start getting plugged <laughs> into a system. Stand in line, raise your hand, you need a pass to go to the bathroom, whatever. We get put in this box, you know, and I think that we start to put those dreams we had up on the shelf. We're told more about our limitations than we are our possibilities. But there was a great record. It was a gold record um, that was put out by Earl Nightingale back in the day called The Strangest Secret. And he says that we become what we think about most of the time. Rhonda Byrne wrote a book called The Secret. Ogmandino, the greatest secret in the world. And they're all the same thing. But one of my favorite books says, as a man thinketh, so is he or so shall he be. And I believe that all stems to creativity as well, that the more creative you allow yourself to be and dream, the greater the ideas. I love that Walt Disney once said that uh, sometimes it's fun to do the impossible. What a dreamer, what a creator. And, and by the way, he was actually uh, uh, fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination. Walt Disney. <laughs> so I love to hear stories of those that just never gave up. I bet that newspaper guy ate those words. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Charles Schultz's yearbook. They they like rejected every one of his cartoons. Van Gogh sold one of his two thousand paintings, only one his whole entire life. Steven Spielberg kicked out of uh, film school three times. Thank goodness they weren't quitters. Beethoven's music uh, uh, teacher said he was hopeless as a composer. I'm glad he was <laughs> deaf. He didn't hear yeah. what she said. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Here's hear to that. the dreamers, <laughs> right? Number two is a lot funner. Um, who's your favorite Muppet and why? Oh, gosh. I love the Muppets. Um, obviously, Kermit the Frog, you know, I always, my, my son Sam does a great Kermit the Frog. Uh, I used to work with Rich Little, who used to do uh, Kermit in Miss uh, Pinkyo. Watch it, Frog! You know, he was so good at those voices. But I love Kermit. Um, I think I can relate a lot to Kermit just because it's not easy being green not easy being Osmond, right? <laughs> um, sometimes, uh, you know, you got a good heart. And sometimes you notice in Kermit's life that 
not always the best things happen, you know? He goes through good times and bad times. I think of myself a little bit more like Fozzie, Fozzie Bear, waka waka, you know, he was just always happy all the time. I try to be like him, but I think I relate a lot to to Kermit because I try to I try to be everybody's friend, right? Sometimes you got to live in the swamp. That's a good answer. One of our best. In the last, in the movie of your life, who would you want to play you? Oh, gosh. <laughs> pick, pick your favorite cousin. <laughs> you know, one time I was told uh, this lady thought I was Vincent D'Onofrio. I don't know if I look like him at all, but uh, if I were to have an actor play me, gosh. Dude, Seth MacFarlane could totally play you easy. You think so? Well, because. hilarious. But you are as well. Oh, thanks, like, man. I but th- looks aren't everything. Ah. Right? No, I think I when I'm watching you and your impressions and all of this. Oh man, I'm just a big kid. My office is decked out in Star Wars and in and, and Disney, so and which is one and the same nowadays. But uh, I, I think it's important to um, I can be serious, right? There's there's moments where you need to be serious, um, but I think for the most part, be you. I, I think that's the secret. In fact. Uh, there was a wise man who once asked, was asked that question. He said, you know, what's the secret? At the, oh, it was um, Russell Simmons. What's been your secret? Wasn't he says, the, the secret to being successful is be you. Because there's only one you. If we're all trying to be unique and different, some people are doing stupid stuff on YouTube just to push the envelope and be a little bit harder or different or crazier. I was like, why do you want to be them? They don't want to be you, right? Kobe Bryant never wore your name on his jersey. He wore his own. Why are you wearing his name? I think I miss that guy, but, you know, I think that we should always wear our own name on our own jersey. Don't try and be anybody else. Be the original. Be you. And that is why I love you. Oh, thanks. So, I mean, as as good of names as Nathan Cash or or Nathan O'Brien. Exactly. I take that all back. I'm proud to be Nathan Osmond. I think it works. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. It totally works. Here's to the hatches. Yes. And the hey. And the Maziotti. Ma- I, I just didn't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> Most people say Maziotti. Maziotti. That's like Italian, isn't it? It is. I love that. As you can see, it's bon been right out of me. I love it, dude. <laughs> I love Italy. I got to get back there. That's one place everyone should go is Rome. Yeah. Oh, what a great place. We'll do that on another podcast. Talk about travels. We'll go there. Let's go there, dude. We'll go to one of your concerts We'll put there. some Hatch's chocolate no, we're in gonna go the gelato. In your green room. At a concert. That's what. There you that's go. What I'm, okay, yeah. So once again, in, March second at the Sierra. No, oh. we're gonna go to Italy too. Come on. <laughs> I thought I'll, I'll do. I'll do March. I thought I'll you were March. plugging it. Okay. I'll do March also. There we go. March second. I'll be the warm up. <laughs> there we go. I, I probably got the miles to take us all. Let's go, man. March second. Awesome. March second at the Sierra. The the seven o'clock show's already sold out. Nine o'clock. Get them while you can. It's gonna be fun. And then we're. Hitting then we're going Italy, Italy about yes. April. I like that. Let's go ahead and do it. Okay. The Win in Rome series. Yeah, I'm good with it's that. It's got a good <laughs> ring to it. It's got a good ring to it. Nathan, thank you. Thanks for having me on, oh, guys. Where can everybody catch your stuff? Uh, if you want to learn more about what I've got going on, go to NathanOsman.com. That's probably the best place. i got all my links to my social media there, except for my TikTok page. I just started that one. So that's if you're listening, go follow me on TikTok, too. But, um, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, all of those pages. He's on LinkedIn all the time. 
LinkedIn. He won't message me back on Facebook. But oh, LinkedIn. I know LinkedIn. <laughs> That's where I I know. LinkedIn. I've just discovered. I mean, I've had it for years, but I've just started using it in the last two months. It's a great page. Yeah. I love it. Fun. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you, guys. You. Bye. Bye. Adios.